Uh, we've been working our way through this uh, series over this term as we've thought about um, Jesus and real life. Actually, do you know, I meant, I meant to give, uh, make a, a welcome, but I didn't spot her at, right at the beginning. Um, Eleanor and um, Steve, actually, is, is out in Kresh, are here with their new baby, Annabelle, um, who's only born a week ago? Just, just a week ago. Yeah, nine days. So I think we ought to say congratulations there as well. Um, uh, whether I wake her up now, um, I don't know. My voice, I think, has the tendency to put people to sleep, so she should be fine. Um, it's all good. So uh, welcome. It's great to see you. So we've been working our way through uh, this series about Jesus and real life, and we've thought about uh, Jesus and work and ambition, Jesus and shopping, Jesus and childhood, and uh, we're going to think today about Jesus and health. Uh, now, it has to be said that the irony of um, Callum who was meant to be preaching today, not being here because he's throwing up, when he was meant to be preaching on Jesus and health, um, is not lost on me. And even in his very, very unwell state, poor chap, it wasn't lost on him last night either. Um, And uh, maybe it's not a bad place to start. Uh, Our experience of our bodies is not what we would like them to be. Something we all share in common. To greater or lesser degrees, we aren't the physical people that we would like to be. We aren't as healthy as we would like to be. We aren't as strong or as fit as we would like to be. Um, We aren't as good-looking or attractive as we would like to be. Our experience of our health, our overall health in our physical bodies, is not just right. And actually, if you extend... (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) A little bit of cough as well this morning. That's not good, is it? Um, If you extend this idea of health beyond our physical bodies, but to our emotional health, and if you like, our spiritual health, the bottom line is we're not who we would like to be. I want to think particularly today about how Jesus um, interacted with the physical health and well-being of the people that he met. And we're going to do that by looking very simply at um, Jesus meeting Um, A woman and a young girl, both of whom desperately needed uh, his healing uh, and his rescuing touch. And I think in the process we see uh, maybe some surprising nudges for us um, of how we view ourselves and of maybe, in particular, how God views us and um, the skin we stand up in. So I'm going to read for you um, a reasonably long reading, Luke chapter 8, verse 40, that's page one thousand. And 38, 1038, uh, just on the right-hand side of that left-hand page. It's entitled, um, in this version of the Bible, A Dead Girl and a Sick Woman. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. 
In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her daughter, Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead, but he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. When you come to read one of these stories in the Gospels, there's a few things that you can always do to help you to get to the heart of it. Uh, Especially on a story like this, which is one of the best-known ones that we find in our Bibles. Um, It's such an amazing sort of pairing of of, uh, this woman who's been ill for so many years, and the crowd, and the crush, and Jesus healing her, and then Jesus raising this uh, dead 12-year-old girl from from the dead. That we've heard it so many times, we actually need some help to get into it. So the first thing to do, actually, when you're reading something like this, is to try and put yourself in the shoes of the people who are there. And ask yourself, what would have surprised me, and also, what should surprise me today? So, just by way of noticing them, here are some of the things that I I think we should notice that are surprising about this story. The first thing is that Jesus stops when he's on the way to rescue a potentially dying, and we then find dead girl. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a proper, you know, flashing blue light emergency moment, isn't it? You know, Jesus has heard that um, Jairus' daughter is, is towards the point of death, I think is the literal translation. And, and he should have the flashing blue light on. He should be pushing his way through the crowds. He should be getting there. It, it reminds me a little bit of last week when I preached on Jesus and Lazarus. And he hears that Lazarus is about to die. And he pauses. There's something frustratingly unhurried about Jesus. It's almost like he's got a different set of priorities to us. It's almost like he sees things differently. We would imagine that everything should be devoted to just getting there quickly. And yet, in the midst of that crowd, he stops. But then that's the second surprising thing, isn't it? That he notices that somebody's touched him. Ever so slightly bizarre. Verse 46, um, Uh, No, a little bit earlier than that. Verse 45, who touched me, Jesus asked. Even more surprising, I love this bit. It's always one of the bits that makes me smile in the Gospels. They then go, oh, not me. And yet he says that he was being crushed by the crowds. You know, there were probably 10 people touching him at that moment. Probably 100 people who touched him in the last 10 minutes. And when he says, stop, and everybody goes quiet because this is the teacher. He does amazing amazing things. You're going to listen to this guy. Stop, who touched me? And they'll go, not me. It's not a thing that doesn't make any sense. And yet Jesus somehow knows that something beyond simply being crushed up against him, something deliberate, something intentional, something proactive has happened. Somebody hasn't just brushed against him. Somebody has reached out for him. 
There's a difference, it seems, to being in the proximity of Jesus and reaching out for him. What's surprising as well is that Jesus, um, if you like, brings this woman out of hiding. Now, we have to understand a little bit about what was wrong with this woman in order to understand why that was a problem. She'd been bleeding for some 12 years. And and assuming this is what we think it is, within the culture of her day, she would have been ceremonially and socially unclean, therefore, for 12 years. Not simply in her monthly cycle, but permanently. That means that actually, for 12 years, she would have hardly gone out in public. She certainly wouldn't have been allowed in a crowd. She wouldn't have been meant to be in a crush, because all these men around her, that's the culture of the day, would have been made unclean by her. That's how she was understood. So Jesus is doing something incredibly risky here. And what's really surprising is, he doesn't need to do it, because she's already healed. Isn't that slightly odd? Very odd? She's reached out for Jesus. She's going away thinking, oh, something's, something's happened. I, I'm healed. She's getting out of the way. She's, she's going to take her anonymity somewhere else. And Jesus seems to think, again, his priorities seem to be different from ours, that there is something more important than simply the fact that she's well now. There is something actually even more important than whether she is safe. Because actually she was going to be in big trouble, potentially, for being out in public, for being unclean, And the final surprise of the passage is going to go right to the end. And Jesus raises this dead girl. But both in knowing he's about to raise her and in the aftermath of raising her, he seems to go utterly out of his way to stop anybody realizing the amazing thing he's done. So before he goes in, knowing perfectly well that she's dead, he says, oh, don't worry, she's just asleep. Because what, you know, he can cope with the crowd maybe knowing that he's done a miracle of healing they already know he does that. But somehow he doesn't tear it up. He doesn't say, never fear, she is dead, but I am going to raise her. It's sort of great the moment we sort of put those words into Jesus' mouth, don't they? The moment you hear a Christian leader doing anything that grates like that, you think, Would I, can I imagine Jesus saying those words? He tell, I mean, this is one of those moments you just think, Jesus, please. He says to the parents, don't tell anybody. Of course they're going to tell the world. If that happened to you, to your daughter, wouldn't you? And you'd think, well, I'm doing Jesus a favour. Everybody should know the remarkable things he can do. And yet somehow, once again, his priorities, his hierarchy, are different from ours. Jesus' first priority is not to make a name for himself. It might be mine might even be yours. It certainly is many of our leaders. His priority is not that. He has healed this girl almost against his better judgment. Almost the impression you get. What on earth is Jesus doing with this woman, with this girl? How are his priorities, his understanding of health and well-being and our physical bodies, how are they so different from ours? that we're so surprised by the things that he does and that he doesn't do. Well, the first thing that we ought to say is perhaps the least surprising of the the things that I want to say this morning. And that's that the one thing we 
cannot say of Jesus is that he somehow views our physical bodies as unimportant or unspiritual. Do you know there are versions of the Christian faith, and there have been for 2,000 years, that denigrate and put down our physicality as being of secondary importance. That somehow, if you were spiritual enough, you wouldn't worry when you were ill. That if you were holy enough, you wouldn't moan when you were throwing up. That actually, if you were close enough to God, you wouldn't fear and fight death or decay or the aches and pains that come with getting older. The Bible, and Jesus in particular, knows nothing of that. From the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, and I literally mean both of those things and everything in between, the Bible says that God has made us whole people. We use that um, division that the Greeks, uh, Greek philosophers first came up with of body and mind and spirit. And we sort of look for references to our body and our mind and our spirit in Scripture. Actually, we look in vain uh, if we're looking for that sort of division. The Hebrew scriptures know nothing of dividing us up into, well, that's your mind and you think with that bit, and that's your spirit and you sort of feel and relate to God with that bit, and that's your body, and you somehow divide them up. No, 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 no. From throughout scripture, we are whole people. All of us matters. Jesus doesn't say to this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, you shouldn't worry about that, just be my friend, it'll all be fine. He doesn't say to Jairus, don't worry about your daughter. You, you, you just stick close to God. You know, he'll, it'll be fine. He heals people. He raises the dead. He weeps when he stands at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. He's cross, actually. We, we remember in this last week, that wonderful word in the Greek um, that uh, John uses when he, he talks about Jesus standing outside Lazarus' tomb, and that word that means a sort of, a sort of visceral, almost animal-like um, grunt or growl when Jesus meets brokenness and physical bodies that are decaying because it's so not what God intended. We're meant to have the the bodies and the world that God made where he said it was very good. So your body matters to God. Your physicality matters. It is part of who you are. It's not the whole of who you are. Some of our culture would imagine that it is the whole of who we are. Leisure centres and and gyms have been called the new church, the place where we go to worship at the the temple of our bodies. If you ask the question, where, where is that one place that some of us would never miss? We might miss church, we might miss praying, but we'll never miss the gym. Where do we spend our money? What do we aim for in life? If somebody says to you, what's your aim for this year? And the first thought that comes into your head is health and fitness and weight. That's what our culture does. It says it's everything. But Jesus doesn't reverse that by saying it's nothing. He says we are, partly, who I am is my body. It is important. That's why he heals this woman. That's why he raises this girl. And yet, it seems to be, secondly, that Jesus thinks about physicality different because he seems to think that there are some things that are more important than our health and even more important than life itself. Think about this woman. I don't understand, and nor should anybody tell you that they do, why it is this woman had to wait 12 years to be healed. Not for a moment do we imagine that God didn't know she was unwell. Do we? I mean, you know, she's, 
she's been suffering with bleeding for 12 years. She was almost certainly a God-fearing Jewish lady. She's going to have been going along to the synagogue, maybe going to, going, actually, she wouldn't have been allowed in, but I mean, if, if she could have done, she'd have been going to the synagogue and the temple. She'd have certainly been praying. She'd, she'd have had friends and family making sacrifices for her. She'd have been longing for God to heal her. One of the other Gospels says she spent all that she had on doctors. She was desperate. Do you not think God heard her? Some of you will have been suffering physically for years, desperate for God to heal, longing that God would bring his touch of healing to your life. Maybe not for you, maybe for a friend, for a family member. We have to hear on the one hand that this stuff matters to God, that his heart is broken for a broken world, for broken bodies, for damaged minds, for, for um, disintegrated hearts. This matters. But the hard thing to hear sometimes is that there are things that are even more important. Because that's the only thing that makes sense of these two pauses of Jesus. That he pauses when he's meant to be running towards a girl that's dying in order for this woman to touch him and to be healed. And that he pauses again so that the woman doesn't just get healed. See the point? This woman has been healed of, her, of the bleeding, but Jesus thinks there's more for her, something that's worth even risking her reputation, even her life, because she could have got stoned. He pauses so that he gets eyeball-to-eyeball connection with her. It is more important to Jesus that she makes relationship with him, that she understands the source of her healing, that she understands that she is loved, not simply the recipient of some sort of magic touch. It's more important than anything. When I'm sick, when somebody that I love is sick, it is the most important thing in the world to me. And I don't think that God somehow is cross at us about that. I don't think God says, forget it, I'm not interested. That's why Jesus stops. That's why Jesus loves to heal. But he does want us to somehow see beyond it and say there is something even more important than our bodies and that life itself. It is our relationship with our creator, the one who's made us, the one who loves us, the one who wants us to know that we are loved from life through death into eternity. That's why he stopped. He wanted this woman to know healed or not healed, that she was loved, that she was known. But there's a third thing here, and maybe this is the big picture that we have to grasp hold of, and it's hinted at in this passage, and it comes again and again in the way Jesus teaches and the way that he prays for people, and it's this, that death itself needs to tell us something about the nature of healing and health that we might otherwise miss. This woman who was healed would one day have to die. This young girl who was raised, just like Lazarus, as we were thinking last week, would one day have to die. Death, as excruciatingly uncomfortable a thought it is for any of us, especially those of us who are walking through bereavement, death is that which beyond anything else, gives us the perspective on life to see what it is that is most important and to see what it is we long for. 
See, what this woman really wanted wasn't simply to be healed. She wanted to be fully well. If you could have said to her, look, would you like never to feel aches and pains? Would you like never to find that your heart and body and soul are beginning to decay or not be what they were, once were? Would you like never to be ill again, never to die? She'd have gone, that's what I want. Isn't that what we all want? Don't we long not to live in a world which is broken? Don't we long to live in a world which doesn't end with death? That's why I believe these two stories come together. That's why Jesus is quite content to pause for a moment, to heal and to raise, because death is that which gives a perspective on healing. When God brings healing today, and honestly, I don't think that God makes a big distinction between the the healing that comes through the great skill and learning and passion of our medical professions and the, the, the healing that we might see coming through prayer, both of which I believe in thoroughly. That when healing comes, it is simply and only a tiny taste of that which we are looking forward to in the life to come. See, the Bible promises and Jesus promises that there will come a day when God draws a line under history and puts all things right. That that which was very good in creation will one day be made very good, beautiful, undecaying, perfect again. The wonderful thing is, you and I aren't going to be, as I often say, you and I aren't going to be somehow disembodied, floating spirits and sort of white nighties strumming a harp on a cloud. There is, I mean, that's just rubbish. The Bible doesn't say any of that stuff. You know, we imagine heaven as this sort of disembodied spiritual place, which, to be honest, as a kid, I used to dread. You know, if somebody said to me as a 10 or 11-year-old, do you want to go to heaven? If I was being honest, I'd have said, not on your life. Can I imagine anywhere more boring and more dull than being anywhere forever, for a start? It's hard enough to imagine that as an adult. As a kid, you just think, well, I'm out of here. And, and, and you know, as an 11-year-old, you sort of think your body's quite cool. And, and actually, you'd like to be able to play football, and you'd like to be able to play with your toys, and you'd like to be able to eat food and chocolate and, 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 and have hugs from your mum. And... Of course you want a body, because you know at 11, actually we know at whatever age, that who we are is our whole selves. What we experience in our health, in our healing, whether you're being prayed for and God brings a moment of remarkable healing, whether you're in hospital and a doctor or a nurse or a surgeon brings healing to you, is a taste of what we long for, and we're promised because of Jesus because of his life and death and resurrection, only because of him, what we're promised in the life of the world to come. Every time somebody is healed in this world, every time somebody's broken heart is put back together, every time somebody's damaged mind is brought peace, it is a taste of the fullness of healing that we are promised in the life of the world to come. We don't get it all now. We get plenty of rotten stuff, plenty of sickness, Plenty of bereavement and sadness and loneliness and loss. Plenty of damage to hearts and to minds. But we also get those tastes, those moments. The time when your body just feels right. The time when something that was wrong is made well. And the trick, the key, the heart of it, is not to get so caught up in that moment and think, this is what it's all about, this is all it is, but to remember that that taste of health that we have is a promise 
of that which is to come. And that's what we long for. That's what we look for. That's what Jesus has promised us because of his life for us, because of his death where he carried our sickness and our sin in his body on the tree and in the life of his resurrection. That's what Easter Day is about. Jesus was, according to Paul, the firstborn from amongst the dead. His body tells us that we get new bodies. His resurrection is telling us, you get to be resurrected one day. Not like this little girl was, one day still to die, but forever to live. Healthy and well, mended and whole. So we do pray for healing. We don't do it nearly as much as we should. I'm sorry for that. We need to do it more. We need to come to Jesus and say, because you've died for us, because you've risen for us, because one day we know you promise full and whole healing, therefore we're allowed to ask you now to bring a touch of the world to come into the present. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. That's who the Holy Spirit is. God's future coming into our present. And whether God brings that healing through the medical advances of science, through a pill that you take, through a great doctor, through wonderful care in the hospital, or whether and in parallel, through somebody laying on hands in prayer and you just being healed, as does happen, I don't really care. Because all of it is a touch of God's healing. All of it is a taste of what's to come. All health is God's health. And all of it is given because of the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Bodies matter. They matter both more to us than some of us might think, maybe less to us than some of us might feel. But they do matter. We're allowed to come to God and ask him for healing. We're allowed to long for that day when our bodies don't ache and groan and creak and fall apart anymore. We're going to come to communion. It's the perfect response. Because as I break the bread, we remember that Jesus' body, his physical body, was utterly broken for us. As we drink of the blood, we remember that his life was poured out physically for us. And as we put out our hands to receive or to take the cup or simply put our heads down to receive a blessing, we are in that place of receiving for God that which our bodies and hearts and minds need. So if you are feeling broken in any way today, damaged, less than the man or woman God made you to be, you are allowed to say to God, please in Jesus, will you bring healing in body and mind and spirit? That's what I need. That's what I long for. And in those times that we have to wait, whether it's 12 years or 20 years or 50 years or until the day we die and that ultimate healing comes, Jesus, would you be with me and walk with me? And most of all, pause and look eyeball to eyeball into my heart and soul that I could be your friend and know that you love me. We're just going to be still. You may want to close your eyes and just do business with God. Tell him how you're feeling. If it's somebody else that you're concerned for, if it's somebody else's health and well-being that fills your heart up, then bring that person to God. If it's you, that's okay. It's allowed to be. That woman was allowed to come to Jesus for herself. You're allowed to reach out and touch the hem of Jesus' garment. And whether you come forward for a blessing or to receive the bread and the wine, as you come forward, come forward carrying 
that which needs healing. Jesus does heal. He loves to give us a taste of the life of the world to come. 